We're going into the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter number 1. If you work your way over to verse 15, verse 16, that's where we'll be. We actually began this series uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 back in June of last year and took a break for Thanksgiving time all of November and uh, Christmas time all of December, so it might feel like uh, it's been a while since we've been here. It has been a little while, but uh, we're going to be picking up where we left off, and that's verse 15 and 16, speaking of uh, God's investment in you. And this passage is fascinating. All the way through this chapter is fascinating what God has done for us. And, and uh, we need to know that. There's a particular reason for all that. And I emphasize it as part of the title. God's investment in you so that you would have all you need to serve Him. Are you lacking anything this morning? From His hand? We just sang the songs, All that I need is... Thy hand hath provided. Right? Well, that's this study. What he has done for us. So that we know that we have all we need to serve him. So, we've got some things to discuss today. Let's have a word of prayer and then dive right into verse 15 and 16. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. The fact that we have it is just a, a great thing. I hope that you are impressed it upon our hearts that we are able to carry in our hands and read with our eyes and understand, because of your help, understand the Word of God. We are so indebted to you for your love and all those things too, but as well for your Word. This is a good time for us to invest in learning it, that we may see what again you have done in our hearts and in our lives so that we may serve you as we ought to. So use this time, Lord, in such a way that it makes quite an impact on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there is something right in that very thought I just shared in prayer, that the application of this teaching here in this passage is especially a personal appeal to each of us. Um, there's a specific and important ministry that we are called to do. Far greater than any request that you might receive to serve as an elder or a trustee or a teacher or a treasurer or a deaconess or a youth leader or a nursery worker. And I put them right up with the rest of them. Because if they're not doing their job, we're all in trouble. Nursery workers are important to the church, aren't they? But, if you have felt left off of that list I just read, put whatever ministry is in there that you do as well. There is a ministry that all of us have been called to that I believe is just as important, if not more so. It's called prayer. It's called prayer. When I began ministry 25 years ago in Birmingham, Alabama... It was a uh, church that was occupied by senior citizens. Uh, the youngest was 65 in the church. Outside of myself, I was 24. I felt like a little kid in that congregation. 
we always said our youth group starts at 65. Uh, but in that, in that group, I would spend a great deal of time visiting there in that community because many of them would be able to come out on Sunday morning and then they were in their homes the rest of the week. And, and I went to visit one elderly lady on a regular basis. She lived down the street from us. And I believe she was about 85 at that time and wondering why the Lord has kept her on this planet. It was always the same conversation over and over. Well, I don't know why the Lord still has me here. She was able to drive still, and she would come to church and things like that. She read incredible volumes of, of good spiritual books during the course of the week. And I always benefited from it, because when she was done, I got the books. <laughs> but uh, uh, in that, um, she would often say, I don't know why the Lord has left me here. I can't do anything. And every time she said that, I would answer the exact same way. I'd say, but you're praying for me. And I consider that to be a, a, a blessing. I consider that to be very important. Just to know that she prayed for me as often as she did and, and has, as disciplined as she did. Here in Ephesians, we look at what God has invested in us. We, we have seen in chapter 1, which is only 23 verses long, and I mentioned this as we started this study, that really in the, the Greek translation of this chapter, there are only three sentences. There's verse 1 and 2 is a sentence. Verse 3 through 14 is one sentence. He can hardly stop his pen. He had to just keep writing. And we studied that sentence together. And now the rest of this chapter, 15 to 23, some say it's one sentence and some break it up and say, no, it's more than one sentence. But it, it certainly is a third thought that is, that is a response, if you will, to what he has done. What he has done. And that's why Paul begins here in verse 15 and says, for this reason. You know, we just don't start sentences like that. It, it backs up to everything else that we've learned. He says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you and making mention of you in my prayers. I set before you a challenge this morning, and this is the time of year we take challenges. And uh, of course, in three weeks, that's a different story, right? I mean, we set our resolutions, and then uh, we sometimes can't quite make it through all this. I have to be honest, there's only one resolution I was ever able to keep all the way through. And I did that last year, and that was I was intent to go a whole year without going to Walmart. I made it! Woo! <laughs> that, that was just something I, I, I don't know how dependent I become on certain places, and I just wanted to see, can I do it? Well, you can do it. It's amazing. You can do it. But, but most of us will set these kind of things where we say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to resolve to this. I don't know how many times I've got a book out and said, I'm going to read it this time. And it sits and collects dust in just a few weeks. 
you know, you know how that all works. I'm not here to talk about resolutions. I'm, but I am going to set a challenge before you today. One that goes beyond just a commitment for a year. It's, I pray, something we commit to in our Christian life for the rest of our Christian life. And I mentioned prayer. And I, I'm very mindful of the fact that uh, just the mere mention of prayer causes some people just to tune this out right away. They say, oh, well, you know, that's not my interest. I, I don't know where everyone would be on this. I, I probably only reflect sometimes on my own thinking and how I've thought through the years. But some people are just have no interest in the topic of prayer. Prayer sounds boring to them. As a child, I was taken to every single Wednesday night prayer meeting uh, in the church as we grew up. And I would sit there and I'd listen to the same people say the same things for ten years every single Wednesday night. And, and I thought, well, that must be prayer. If that's all you ever had a, a taste of and, and experience with, you might say, well, you know, God must be bored to pieces when we come together, you know, to, to do this prayer meeting. But some, it's an activity that uh, it's only for those people who have nothing else to do. Uh, so we leave prayer for them. Uh, sometimes, when prayer is mentioned, we, we tune out the message because there is a painful guilt that comes with the topic, right? This kind of guilt that says, you know, I forgot. I said I'd pray for so-and-so and I, I did not pray or I'm just not mindful of it. I don't remember to pray as often as I, I should. Uh, it's, it's an easy topic, by the way, to ignore if you're trying to get rid of conviction, you just say, you know, I won't even think about it. And that way it doesn't make me feel bad. Um, I wonder at times if some people would rather the pastor preach a whole sermon on dieting than on prayer. We'd be more comfortable with even that topic isn't the best and most of us feel uncomfortable with it anyway. But uh, in list of things to do, I don't know why it is, but prayer always sits back a little bit in priority and such like that. And so I call this a challenge. And I know it's a challenge. It's for all of us as a challenge. The issue of prayer. And I pray that as we see these passages here before us, that we will find the motivation perhaps or the, the reason or... Perhaps you're just waiting for somebody to push you a little bit that way, and maybe this passage would do that. Um, Paul's pattern of prayer is given to us in several places. In Ephesians, there's at least two places that it just stands out in the way he prayed. These verses here, 15 through 23, uh, is emphasizing the practice Paul has in prayer. And we're going to look through that and see how he does it and, and all the, the issues revolving around that. That's in this prayer. But in chapter 3, there's another prayer. If you jump over there to chapter 3 for a minute, verse 14, this is the second time he does this phrase, for this reason. And he breaks into a prayer here. And, and I'm just going to read it right now because notice the content of his prayer in this passage. 
He says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a powerful prayer, isn't it? We read through these things. We see all these things. I want to ask you something in verse number 20, if you really think that this is a true verse. See it? You say, of course it's true. It's in Scripture. But is it a true verse? Do we understand him to be able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think? we believe that? One person said, in reference to this verse, the problem is that we ask too little, we think too small. He's far more able to do these things. Those verses sit there, and they're fascinating. They're, they're great to dissect and work our way through. But the point this morning is not just dissecting and, and such, but bringing to the, the forefront the necessity that we have in prayer. Prayer is something to learn. Remember what the disciples asked Jesus? Teach us to pray. Teach us. It was something to learn. It's the simplest of all practices, but it is among the most vital aspects in our ministry. Simplest. Think of it this way. How many times have you seen, and, and we do this at this time of year every year, we set a budget before you, the church budget, what we're going to operate by and such. We, we have financial statements and all that, but we see the categories for pastoral staff, we see the categories for music ministry, we see the categories for missions, we see the categories for Bible study. We have all these categories on there where we're going to invest our funds for a year. How many times have you seen on a statement, prayer? Say, you know why that's not on there? Because prayer is free. How often do we just say, well, if it's not on the list, it's not an important part of our ministry. That's, this is what's great about prayer. We don't have to budget for it. We don't have to strategize for it. We just do it. That's what prayer is. We just do it. It's the simplest of all the practices that we're called to do. It's also one of the hardest, I think. That sounds like a contradiction. But this is how we try to simplify the Christian life. We say, this is the three essentials. Study of the Word. Do what it says. And pray. Would that break it down pretty simple? 
Study the word, do what it says, pray. Now sometimes we get that in a different order. Study the word, pray, do what it says. Or, pray, study the word, do what it says. We mix the order from time to time, but generally we have those three things that we know Scripture tells us to do. Study it, do it, pray. Which of those is generally in third place? It's prayer. And if something else just happens to come along that gets us busy, prayer also tends to back up on that too. Now, I'm only saying that from personal experience. Alright? That, that works in my own heart as well. You say, but he's the pastor of our church. <laughs> yes. It's a struggle. It's not an easy thing. In a Bible church, there's always a danger that study goes first, application goes second, and prayer sometimes falls into third place. It's always that. That's why I said this is really, folks, the simplest of all practices, but it is among the most vital of our ministries. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Think about that. I like this quote. Richard Newton said this, and it was just written down, so I was able to put it right here in my notes. The principal cause of my leanness and unfruitfulness is owing to an unaccountable backwardness to pray. I can write or read or converse or hear with a ready heart, but prayer is more spiritual and inward than any of these, and the more spiritual any duty is, the more my carnal heart is apt to run from it. But wow. Boy, did he hit the center of the target. So as we go into these verses, I want to start backwards with you. 15 and 16, start with 16, because this is a procedure that I use with my Greek students as we are translating sentences. I say, first thing, let's go identify the main verb, because all these other grammatical things tend to float around the main verb, so we've got to find that main verb to see what the sentence is trying to tell us to do. So if you read verse 15 and 16 in that sentence, Verse number 16 tells us the main verb. Do not cease. That's your verb. Do not cease. It sounds like kind of funny to do this, but he literally is saying, this is my practice. I will not stop myself. That's literally the phrase that you're looking at. I will not stop myself from giving thanks on your behalf while making mention of you in my prayers. Two things do rest on his heart. And he says it so quickly. Uh, I could almost picture it this way. Paul, you meet him out in the street and you look up at Paul and say, Paul, Church of Ephesus. And two things pop onto his mind every single time. That's the way he's expressing this. He says, I am so thankful for them. First thought in his mind. I am so thankful for them. Ongoing, continuous description of Paul's activities here. He says, I am thankful for them. 
it, it wasn't some occasional splash on Paul's mind or thinking, but it says he was always thankful for them. Always thankful for them. You know, he's the same man who wrote in Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's first response. When I think of Ephesus, I'm thankful for them. And the second thing I am, I am always remembering them when I pray. Always remembering them. But with those two thoughts, the main thing he says in verse 16 is, I will not stop myself from thinking, being thankful for them and thinking about them in prayer. I will not stop myself. Now, I find that a curious little phrase. We call it in the Greek a middle voice verb. Uh, that's a, a reflexive kind of thing. We're saying it this way. Um, I will not hit myself. All right? Use such a phrase like that. I will not hit myself. Of course, who's doing the action? Me. Who's receiving the action? Me. I will not hit myself. When I could talk about children that aren't here. Uh, Philip, uh, when he was young, was given a pocket knife. I think it was for birthday or Christmas. Or somebody gave him a pocket knife. And, and I took a few minutes to say, you know, I'm not sure if this is the best thing for you. You know, that parent thing, you're, you've read it in your handbooks, right? What to say to a child when he gets his first pocket knife. So I, I did the whole thing like I was supposed to do. And he says, I will not cut myself. Within ten minutes, he's looking for a Band-Aid. Why? He cut himself. And so I did it again. I said, no, you just cannot. You, you, you've got to understand this is sharp. Now you know. See that? See that? Ten minutes later, he's looking for a second Band-Aid. This phrase, I will not cut myself. Here's Paul saying, I will not stop myself. All right? Now, this is kind of an important little phrase, and what he's saying here is, is that there are a lot of things that prevent us from being thankful or remembering other people or especially praying. There's a lot of things that step in there, and we would say prevent us, and, and we may blame them, and we're comfortable with blaming other things than ourselves, so we're blame time. Of course, time, you know, it's always in the way. So we could blame time. Um, we could blame uh, being occupied with other thoughts. You know, I wasn't expecting my day to start like this. And we've got a whole list of other things to put in there as, as uh, uh, reasons. Anything is better than blaming ourselves, of course. So we've, we've got our pat list of culprits. But Paul identifies the biggest culprit in activity in prayer, as himself. I will not stop myself. See it? There's your biggest culprit. It's mine too. His practice says, I will not stop myself. Now, you may be thinking here, well, I'm rather safe at this moment because Paul's talking about his own practice and he didn't say right here, now copy me. Turn to chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verse 18. If you might have just felt comfortable a moment ago, read the rest of this. 
Verse 18, chapter 6. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. So did he call them to pray? To the same degree that he did? Certainly sounds like it. He used words like all prayer, all petition, all the time, in the Spirit, in all perseverance, in all petition, for all the saints and for me. That sounds pretty busy, doesn't it? This is, this is where he does apply it at the end of the book. There is a book on my shelf, and it is one that I, I have to confess, I only pull it down to bring out this one quote. And it's because I want to read this book. And I want to learn from this book. It's written over a hundred years ago by R.A. Torrey, the second president of Moody Bible Institute. It was called How to Pray. And I said, good lesson. I should learn this. I've never gotten past eight. Page eight. Every time I get to page eight, I say, once I learn that, then I'll move on to page nine. I still haven't got beyond page eight. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you what I wrestle with. I'm going to read it to you. You ready? This is what he says. Note the alls. He's using that same verse in Ephesians 6.18. With all prayer, at all seasons, in all perseverance, for all the saints. Note the piling up of the strong words. Prayer, supplication, perseverance. Note once more the strong expression. Watching thereunto. More literally, being sleepless thereunto. Paul realized the natural slothfulness of man, and especially his natural slothfulness in prayer, how seldom we pray things through. How often the church and the individual get right up to the verge of a great blessing in prayer, and then just let go, get drowsy, and quit. I wish that they were, the words, being sleepless unto prayer, might burn into our hearts. And then he, he finished with a question that I turned into a statement. This constant, persistent, sleepless, overcoming prayer is so needful. Now, once I get that figured out, I'll be able to move on to page 9. When's the last time you missed a whole night of sleep in prayer? Paul lays this challenge at the feet of the Ephesians here, doesn't he? Didn't he just tell them to do that? To pray that way? And yet, back in chapter 1, verse 16, he's showing them, that's my practice. He didn't ever call them to do something that he didn't set the example before them. Now, that's not making Paul some super spiritual guy, but he knew the importance of it, and because of that, he prayed that way, and in the end, he could say, now you do it too. And so he says, I will not stop myself. That's his practice. I will not stop myself. Because, back in chapter 1, because, what prompted him for this call of prayer? What prompts him to practice it as he does? He says in verse 15, For this reason, this is why he prays, the reason is backed up into verse 3 through 14, how God has blessed us. Now, 
follow through with this. This is fascinating. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. True? Yes. Verse number 3 says so. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He, he would have us to be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to the adoption of sons, we see in verse number 5, through Jesus Christ to Himself, through the kind intention of His will, to the praise of His glory, of His grace, He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. We have redemption through His blood, verse 7 says. We have redemption through His blood. We have forgiveness of our sins. We have the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Verse number 8. He has made known to us the mystery of His will. Verse number 9. He has, has us part of this whole thing in verse number 10, which, big words, but it's great. All things will be summed up in Christ. And we're part of that. Things in heaven and things on earth. You're in one or the other, aren't you? Okay, you're here. So you count. Everything summed up together in Christ. And we've obtained an inheritance. We've been predestined to it. It's working out according to God's will. And in the end, we will be there to praise His name. And how do you know? Because the Holy Spirit has sealed itself. That's your list of blessings. (laughs) That's a sample, I think. But those are the big ones, aren't they? He says, you have all these things. You have all these things. You have all these things. So, if God did all these things and given them all to me, why should I pray? Hmm. Same argument was used years ago when they were debating whether or not they should send missionaries into heathen countries. Why should we go? The argument was simple. If God wants to have them saved, He can do it without us being there. And on and on they all went, basically on a theology that they used as an excuse. God has done all this. God has done all this. God has done all this. Why should I pray about it? Why should I, I... Why? I'll tell you why. Prayer really comes from realizing that God has done it all. Understand the source of all that we have. You didn't do it, did you? you which of verse 3 through verse 14 did you manufacture yourself? Which of these did you bring about? Forgiveness of sins. Of course, you've probably figured out how to run that one, right? You could do it. You brought about redemption, right? I could do that all day long. None of these things were ours until God gave it to us. In that, there is a huge element of humility in prayer. Do you realize that? Do you know what we're saying every time we pray? We're going to a God who has everything, and we're going to Him as those who have nothing, and He is the source of it all. We go as paupers before His throne every single time, not acknowledging that all that we have comes from His hand. It all's from Him. That's why we pray to Him. When we begin to take pride and take credit for what we have in our own cleverness that we brought it about, that's when prayer takes the back seat. 
It is. Because you don't talk to yourself like that, do you? I thank me for what I've done today. We don't start our day like that. We know that. You see, pride, cleverness, credit, all those things that we apply to ourselves, it keeps us from prayer and acknowledging the source that we have in Him. That's why Paul starts, for this reason. He says, God, you have given everything to me. I need to talk to you. (laughs) Now, there's more to this, but this is an illustration I thought of as I was thinking through this. uh, Because, I don't know, there's been times lately where I've been installing new programs on the computer and things like that. And for those of you who work with computers and, and the installation of computers, even at its basic level, the program doesn't work without a startup application. You can have all the information and data on there, but it needs a setup program to enable it. God didn't give us all these things so that we would be self-sufficient. You see that? He didn't give us this list so that, that we would be dependent on ourselves, but that we would be more dependent on Him. More dependent on Him. We are dealing with God's great things, aren't we? And nothing but God's great power can make them work. That's why we pray. This isn't a, a, a something that is, is designed to show how great we are with words or how, how wonderful we can formulate a prayer and remember all those people that we've got to remember to pray for. and all the, That's not what it, prayer is about. Prayer is a reminder of who we are and who He is and what He's done. And we need that, don't we? We need driven to that place over and over and over again. I don't think it takes these things lightly. And we shouldn't. So Paul looks back and he says, look what God has done for you, Ephesians. Look at all that He has blessed you with. And I noticed something else about you, Ephesians. You believed it. And you adhered to it. Look at verse 15. For this reason too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus that exists among you and your love for all the saints, I don't stop praying for you. We do a lot of praying for people to come to know Christ. That same prayer meeting I sat through all those years and in Wednesday night growing up, uh, we had the same man on that prayer list every week, the husband of one of the ladies in our church, and always praying for his salvation, always praying for his salvation. Ten years, I remember. It was longer than that. But ten years we prayed every Wednesday night for his salvation. He came to know the Lord. Was it worth the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know what? The next week, I noticed somebody was not on the prayer list. Why? Oh, we got him in. We're okay now, right? You know when prayer prayer really kicks in? You know when Paul prays especially for people? It's not as much, even though I know his heart's desires for them to come to know the Lord. It's once they're saved, wow, do we need to pray for them. That's when we should. 
intensify the prayers. Not, not just to relieve ourselves to say, oh, well, he made it in, but intensify those prayers. He says, I heard that you are living by faith, Ephesians. You heard these things, you believe these things, and now you're even practicing them by loving the saints. After I heard that, after we heard these things, realizing that you had this love and you had this faith, I pray for you daily, and I will not stop. You see where he's praying? On this side of where it's hard, right? The commandments go like this in 1 John 3.23. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of God, the Son of Jesus Christ, and love one another. Those two things are generally associated. Believing in him, loving one another. Just as he commanded us. First John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There it is again. You know God, you believe in him, now let's love, us, love one another. Now, that's going to take prayer, isn't it? Do you find that's easy? Loving one another? It's a call for prayer. You see, if you see a sister or a brother who is, who is new in the Christian walk and is learning to walk that walk, to practice what they're told to do, we ought to be praying for them all the more. How many times when you've watched that toddler finally stand up on his own little feet and decide, I think I can take a step. Where's mom or dad? They're standing right there. Oh, they're giving them a little room with their arms, aren't they? Because they want to see them do it. But they're right there in case little junior goes down, right? Think of that in the next time you pray for a brother or sister in Christ. What are you doing? You're supporting them. You're talking to God, who is able to do far abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And here's your brother or sister practicing what they are told to do. Shouldn't we be praying for that? That's Paul's position right here. It's his practice. He looks at these believers. He's told them the doctrine of all that God has blessed them with and invested in their life. And he says, and I can't leave it there. I must be praying for you as you take this, believe it, and live it. I have to pray for you. So here's your challenge. I start with a couple of questions. First, are we the believers who have received all these blessings too? Have you received these? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and because of that, all these blessings are yours in Christ Jesus? Is that where you are? Right. If that is the case, then we are among the most needy people on this earth. <laughs> Because we've been given something far bigger than we can handle. I like to think of it this way. Somebody has given you a suit, and let's imagine it's called grace. And it hangs way off your arms, and way past your legs, and you're standing in there feeling like a little kid inside of this enormous suit. How are you going to function in that? God's grace is so much bigger, isn't it? You have been given that, and with that comes the biggest need you've ever known. The need to live it. To know it, to live it, to do it. That's where we are. We need to engage these blessings into our life. We must practice them. 
in the midst of and especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So it drives us to prayer. It drives us there for our enabling so that we can enable one another. We need this practice of prayer. You see my point this morning? I'm impressing this upon you. Because as Martin Luther had said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. You see now where that comes in? And Newton's comment, the principal cause of my leanness and my unfruitfulness is owing to an unaccountable backwardness to pray. And I don't want to be there, do you? Backwards in prayer. Every time we hear a prayer, is our heart apt to run from it or run to it? Paul says, I will not stop myself. What do you think? Where are you this morning? When it comes to prayer, find that challenging? <laughs> I do. <laughs> you want to take a handful of words home? When it comes to prayer, just write them down and put them somewhere where you see it. I will not stop myself. Put those words down somewhere. Remember what it's in reference to. Praying. Thankfulness. Remembrance. Brothers and sisters, we've got a lot on our list. I will not stop myself. There's a challenge, huh? Heavenly Father, you know where we need this to be applied today. We are so needy. Sometimes we forget, we don't realize how really needy we are. Everything we have is from you. Everything. There's nothing that you have left off because you're so faithful to us and you love us. And scripture even goes to tell us that we can do all things through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens us. And yet, Lord, we shortchange that. We even short-circuit that we don't spend time in prayer with you and our hearts stand before you and we're accountable Lord to this we're accountable to this I am so glad you're a merciful God I'm so glad you've written it in your word to remind us of the importance of prayer not Lord to make us something impressive in the midst of a congregation but we have access before the throne of God I pray that we'll get our our thoughts straight, our priorities straight, our, our understanding straight, that you are God and we need you. We need you. Thank you for reminding us this morning. And I pray, Lord, to what degree this prompts our hearts to commit once again, afresh, anew, however it's worded, to praying. Pray that you'll make us so. Now, we'll be known as a body of believers here in Hillsdale, Oklahoma, that prays. That we'll be known as a Christian in our family who prays. That we'll be known as an employee at our job place, a person who prays. Not for our own glory, but because we understand it's your glory. And we want to know you. Drive us to that place, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.